Well, welcome back to Open to Truth, a podcast all about exploring big ideas and discovering truth together. My name's Clint. Hey, I'm Tony. Welcome back. And uh, just a bit of housekeeping before we get started. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we have a weekly blog. Uh, if you enjoy reading about ideas as well as listening, they're about three to five minutes. Fun little nugget of thoughts to start your day. It's good stuff. This is stuff Clint's writing. I don't write these blogs. So Clint's okay. writing them and they're well written and they'll get you thinking. And they're a good like uh, precursor or digestible short version of yeah. some of the topics we talk about in the podcast. Totally. And if you're like me, like, I don't really like to uh, get notifications from YouTube to my email because right. I subscribe to a bunch of channels and it would be overwhelming. They have a new video. I don't want to oh, click gosh. the bell ever. Yeah. So if yeah. you want to click our bell, oh, by all means. We'll take it. <laughs> but this is the blog is a good way to it's the blog is always about that week's episode. Right. It's on topic. So at the end at the bottom of the blog there's a button to send you to the YouTube if you want to watch yeah. the episode or listen on Spotify. So or how, wait, how do they sign up for the blog? Yeah, so you can go to open slash subscribe. There you go. And it's free. Uh just one email a week of the blog. Yeah. Um, and also, if you're watching on YouTube, there's a link down below. Perfect. The, uh, what is that? Description. Description. Yeah. Description. Yep. Perfect. Uh, that's all for housekeeping. All right. Yeah. So today we are going to be talking about stoicism. Oh. It's okay. uh, which you may or may not have heard of. It's it's undergoing something of a resurgence or a renaissance. I see here. it all over Instagram. Do you really? Everyone's all about now. Now you subbed to just philosophy. <laughs> I did. Instagram. Yeah. I channels. Did. Hashtag philosophy. Yeah. That's why you're seeing it. That's yeah, spreading like wildfire. It's there. spreading like wildfire, but it's not new. Right. So it's the ideas seem to be gaining popularity, but they're not new mm -hmm. ideas. They're thousands sure. of years old. Some of these. Who ideas. are some of the major players? Of Back the in the day. Yeah. Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, Epictetus. Mm -hmm. I read his meditations recently. Mm -hmm. Well, I say red. It was an audio book, yeah, which I know right. you don't include. Oh, really? You're giving me a pass on that? You've been a stickler for that in the past. It's not reading. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't want to okay. start the fight here, but <laughs> okay. it's strictly not reading. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I so, so I want to just today explore a little bit of what, what stoicism is and hopefully mm -hmm. put it in plain English for people. Maybe what it isn't or some yeah. um I bet you've seen... I mean, I don't think it's just me and like what I've self-selected into on Instagram. I think there is a trend. Yeah. Of like, I don't know if you want to call it like new age spirituality mm. of like that whole movement, but I feel like they're kind of reaching down into the path and like here's some stoicism. Well, there's something to that. Yeah, and I think whether or not you've known to call it stoicism, stoic principles have probably come across your path. In fact, yeah. you may have unknowingly used stoic strategies as a coping mechanism throughout life. Like for example, the I don't know if you grew up, if you're at all involved in Christendom, you might be familiar with the Serenity Prayer. Hmm. What is it? Grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Oh, that's a little. I didn't know that was a. Was that written by an ancient Greek Stoic? Philosopher? I don't know if it was, but it's certainly Stoic in yeah, its yeah. principles. Hmm. So, yeah, I guess just to start defining what we're even talking about a little bit, I'd like to hear. Actually, you know, you go first. I want to hear your take on what Stoicism is. Sure. In a short, like the elevator pitch. So, and, just briefly, one. Um, I don't know, uh, a plague facing philosophers is the idea that like just people lump a lot of things into philosophy and, that, mm -hmm. and that's fine. But just because I have studied philosophy does not mean that I am an expert on all things having to do with philosophy. Yeah, yeah. 
that spans thousands of years yeah, yeah. and lots of different it's figures. Broad. So I, my specialty is not ancient Greek philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as what I understand is there's a big debate between back then between the Stoics and the Epicureans. And it was on, it was in the realm of ethics and the good life. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do I achieve happiness? So the Stoics were pretty adamant that happiness solely has to do with what's going on on the inside. Call it your mental life, mm-hmm. um, your inner world, your inner peace. Whereas the Epicureans would say, no, no, to have the good life, you have to have a certain amount of external goods. Mm-hmm. And that varied depending on who, which Epicurean you asked. It could be basics, shelter, food, yeah. um, and then all the way up the hierarchy of needs, so to speak, and what constitutes the flourishing life. And in that, if we just boil it down to those basic two competing ideas, we I think we see that happening today. Like that mm-hmm. conversation hasn't been settled. Yeah, that's still an ongoing debate. Uh, and then do you want me to go any further into that? Like reasons for why? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think both have intuitive pull. The Stoic, who says that ultimately happiness depends internally, uh, I think we've we've uh, made similar noises throughout the relaunch of this podcast. Where um, content, if you don't, if you can't find contentment now, mm-hmm. that nothing in the future will necessarily bring it to you. Like mm-hmm. that's external to you. Um, there's not some new thingy that you buy or some new experience isn't going to bring you lasting contentment. It's inner work that's ultimately going to bring you there. I find that really intuitive. On the other hand, boy, when I imagine a life totally devoid of external goods, I'm imagining the slums Mm -hmm. across the world in India or something, and the poverty I saw firsthand in in Haiti when I went there uh, during high school, they are lacking so many external goods that i enjoy i'm not saying that i'm necessarily happier than they are well not yet but okay okay <laughs> uh but man there there is a certain level of poverty and lack that just seems so grinding on the human experience like i i don't have access to clean water i have to travel 20 miles or mm-hmm. i have to pay an exorbitant amount of my yearly income just to be able to drink water every day and we could, the list could go on of the ways that it seems like your life can genuinely go worse if you don't have things. Tough to call that the good life. I know, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. I find both ideas intuitive. So yeah. that, and a lot of a lot of people have, and that's why it's a perennial, ongoing conversation. Yeah. I'm interested in the way you use the word happiness there, mm-hmm. um, and I. I'm curious what exactly you mean by that, because my understanding of stoicism, and maybe this isn't, maybe maybe I'm not a true stoic, or maybe mm. this isn't true stoicism or something, but when I think about stoicism, first of all, it's a philosophy of life. So these are more than just sort of abstract ideas. This is a, a way to be in the world, or a, mm-hmm. a way to navigate through life's challenges that seeks to put emphasis on the cultivation of virtue, the cultivation of character formation in mm-hmm. oneself and pays close attention to what is and what is not within our control. And when I think about Stoicism, one of the f- first examples I think of is um, 
carrying yourself in such a way that you don't suffer unnecessarily uh, or you don't inflict suffering on yourself unnecessarily over things that you can't control. It reminds me of this parable that I think the Buddha told or someone related to the Buddha told about a man who gets shot with an arrow, which is suffering enough, but then to be fixated on the fact that he has been shot with an arrow and to be wishing that he weren't shot with an arrow and to be all caught up in this story about poor little me, I've been shot with this arrow. That that whole narrative mental path that he goes down actually causes more suffering than is necessary in that situation. It's a metaphorical second arrow. It's a metaphoric, metaphorical second arrow, yeah. So if he had been able to... The sooner he can accept the fact that he has been shot with an arrow mm-hmm. and cease resisting that fact, it has happened. You have been shot. The sooner you can come to terms with that, the sooner you you cut off at the pass um, any of this additional psychological suffering that you... Now, that's not to say you won't suffer physically. An arrow would hurt to get shot with. Yeah, yeah. But we tend to, in our lives, um, add all kinds of secondary arrows to the setbacks that befall us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's, there's something to Stoicism about just as quickly as you can accepting when something is and is not within your control. So maybe what I'm wondering with my little comment earlier about like New Age stuff, yeah. how, how similar is this to just, and forgive me my lack of nuance, but just Eastern traditions. Mm-hmm. But like you mentioned Buddhism. Yeah. I uh, it, Is this the same idea just repackaged from a different geography? I think I think there's overlap. I'm imagining the Shaolin monk mm-hmm. that you thwack over the head with a, a bamboo beam and he's like, chill about it. You know? Yeah. From some kung fu movie. Just boom. And he didn't care because he's so trained. His inner life is so peaceful. You threw a uh, rock into his pond and I've no ripple. <laughs> he just occurred. accepts it. Yeah. I think there's overlap, and I think that overlap has to do with mindfulness. So being being aware of one's own state, um, like when you are angry, there's a difference between being angry and also being aware that you are angry. So oh, yeah. being caught up in anger and dragged away and by reacting it. Reacting to the stimuli yeah, being as lo- a beast. Yeah, or being lost in some story that you tell yourselves. I can't believe they said that. And then they went and they're probably saying this to other people. And do, 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 do. you work yourself up into yeah. this state of anger. And anxiety even. Sometimes. And anxiety. Yeah. Whereas mindfulness training would allow you to recognize anger has been triggered in me. Anger is present. And instead of allowing your awareness to follow this narrative you want to tell yourself if you instead turn that awareness on the anger itself the physical sensation of the burning in my chest or where do you feel rage yeah yeah I'd put it's it in there. the chest like sometimes a, it goes out to my yep like fingertips a heat, like the, the, and it needs to be released yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's this some kind of an it sounds woo woo but some kind of an energy that you're feeling in your body it's physiological i feel this anger response if you turn your attention on that sensation itself and get really curious about it mm-hmm. to make that the object of your awareness, it will dissipate within minutes, probably. It will dissipate. Hmm. Whereas if you don't do that and you're not mindful, as long as you continue to imagine and spiral out in stories, that anger will intensify. You can, I mean, even right now as you sit here, yeah. you can manufacture these feelings in yourself if i tell you to think about your kids laughing 
smiling, just having the time of their life, mm-hmm. there is some degree of pleasure that starts to come over you in terms of emotions, warm yeah. feelings towards those kids. Yeah, it's happening. And, yeah. and if I tell you to think about somebody who really hurt you or somebody who slandered you behind your back mm. and just revisit that memory, it changes. It all suddenly starts to get tight and anxious like and upset. Yeah. Right. Well, you have the ability to choose yeah. where you place your attention. So both of those were pretty minimal experiences sure. due to it not really happening. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I think you're right that there is overlap between these Eastern traditions that focus a lot on mindfulness and awareness and okay. meditation would be a good training ground for a Stoic. I think they go hand in hand pretty nicely. Mm. But um, I do think that they're different. Uh, um, I have a couple of like Stoic thought exercises that I thought might okay. be helpful to tease out the way a Stoic would approach different situations. So this is different from going to the thought experiment lab. That's right. We're going to go to like a mental gymnasium. Yeah, we're going to do a mental workout. Here. Okay. Yeah, we're we going to hit the gym. Okay, so Stoics have, and you can find these online. You could Google Stoic thought exercises or Stoic practices. These are little ways of, let's say, reframing your situation that can change how you feel about it. So one of them, for example, that's pretty famous, I hope I'm saying this right, is Memento Mori. Is that right? Remember death. Yes. Remember death, which sounds like pretty, it sounds pretty morbid. Mm-hmm. Sounds he, cool. Sounds cool when you say it in Latin. Latin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I know, of, I know of Stoics who will keep a, a little skull or some icon in their office oh, or nearby just to remind them, you are mortal, you are going to die. Everything and everyone you love will be taken from you at some point. Your body will fail you. You will become weak. You Mm -hmm. will lose all of your independence. And ultimately, you will have to face the Grim Reaper and step through that threshold of death. And that sounds really dark. Like most people's instinct when you lay that all out is like, oh, why are you talking about that? I don't want to think about death. Right. We try to avoid thinking about it at all costs. Now, sorry if I'm jumping the gun here, but... Mm. As the moment you brought it up, I thought of uh, how often I see the icon of the crucifix. Oh, that's like interesting. I thought of ha- like how preposterous it'd be to hang a skull from yeah. my dashboard thing, <laughs> yeah. the mirror. But then I'm like, well, a lot of people hang crucifixes Wear around your neck, and that is a symbol of death. It is. Way. Yeah, now, I don't know if they're using it in that way. Yeah, I think that, that you're talking about. Yeah, to th- the, remember the existential plight that you're in. Right. I think there'd be some who use the crucifix to remember Christ's sacrifice or there'd be mm-hmm. some who use it to remember their own call to carry a cross yeah. and self-sacrifice. The cruciform life. Yes, exactly. But yeah, remembering death is something we tend to avoid. The The average, mm-hmm. like if you bring this up at a party, most people are going to be done like, it at work before you're bringing people everybody are like, down. What are you guys talking about? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I think about death every single day. Every day. Not because I've necessarily even mastered stoicism by any means and i kind of have forgotten that latin phrase mm-hmm. but genuinely like when i drive around the town i am mm-hmm. worried about dying i think about like this could be the end yep my little kia rio and just like it veers out like it hits a little patch of ice and yep. that's it yeah i think about it constantly it really could happen yeah i know i think about this too when i'm driving like uh the fact that if you ever get into a car accident like maybe not all the time most of the time, if it's an accident, it's unexpected. It will take you by surprise. Yeah. So you're driving along and you think everything's fine. But is it? 
because mm-hmm. something could take you by surprise. Now maybe I'm living with too much just like base rate Baseline. anxiety, <laughs> but I don't always think everything's fine. It's possible. That might have to do with just my. I think it has to do with the size of my car. Yes, yeah. little. <laughs> it's a small car for a big boy. <laughs> I can see why people are just a little more relaxed in their big truck. Yeah, yeah, a little bit safer. Yeah, it, it, it sure Your is. thing would that would crumple <laughs> like aluminum foil, mate. Yeah. In any case, yeah. yeah. So, so the idea of remembering death is not to produce, and not just my own death too. Right. Importantly, the deaths just of others. the phenomenon of it, or yes. can we get metaphorical? The death of a dream. Sure. Okay. All that, all that, all things come to an end for you. Mm. Everything is all is flux, right? Everything is transient. Mm-hmm. Everything that has ever come into your life will, at some stage, go out of your life. Um, and so, yeah, it's not supposed to produce like a baseline level of existential anxiety. Instead, what thankfulness? It, yes, it is supposed to cultivate gratitude. Another way of of saying this is um, like the thought exercise of it, the last time exercise. The idea that yeah, hmm. tonight could be the last time you have dinner with your family. So, in light of that, if you knew it was the last time, would you live it differently? And how would you live it differently? If you knew that tonight when you kiss your wife, that's the last time you're going to kiss her. But how do you remember to do that? There's so many, like you just highlighted two moments in an evening. Mm -hmm. But that's too abstract for how my life actually goes. It's Uh happening moment by moment. In between there, I went to the bathroom. It's the last time I'm gonna pee, yeah. and there's a certain sensation of that that I've. That's fun. Yeah. And like, do I have to like just be cherishing that? Am I constantly cherishing every moment? It just well, isn't that the goal? Wouldn't that be the good life if you did um, cherish every moment? I don't know. Maybe I could see why initially, but something about it strikes me as like just impractical. Or well, you should. There's some things are more valuable than others. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you don't have to take maximally cherish every single moment. That I should like I mean, the family dinner more than going to the bathroom, but that might be the last time I go to the bathroom. Well, let's say let's say maximally cherish every moment, but each moment might have a different ceiling for how cherishable uh-huh. it is. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Okay, like, got it. Like the most the pleasure <laughs> you can take in dinner with a family might far exceed the pleasure you can take from urination. Yeah, but there's some pleasure you can take from urination, so. Mm-hmm. cherish it as much cultivate delight in your life and and take delight make a habit of it by recognizing that it may not be with you forever even and this can even transform things that are you might see as a chore in some way mm-hmm. and mindfulness will do this anyway like washing dishes i don't want to wash these dishes they're they're all in the sink it's going to be a chore that's an that's an attitude an internal stance that i can take towards this chore i'm about to undertake or it's not inherently it's not bad. It's not inherently bad. You can learn you can see this in kids who are learning chores when they do it for the first time. Oh, I get to I remember the first time I ever washed dishes, my dad taught me how. It was kind of fun because I was like role playing an adult. This mm-hmm. is what adults do and did I get my hands all di- wet and it's nice warm water and yeah, yeah. the soap or whatever. And it's like the closer attention you pay to these things, you actually can take delight in washing dishes. Mm-hmm. It's your it's your coming to the situation with a, a resistance, an internal struggle that makes it a struggle. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. Okay, so let's uh, let's just vocalize the Epicurean mm-hmm. uh, crowd over here. That is like, okay, but some some things you just listed a bunch of great stuff. Having dinner with your family, mm-hmm. 
uh, even washing dishes, like that's not so bad. Mm-hmm. But man, like m- my car broke down and it got stuck on the side of the road and I need to push it out. Yeah. That's not fun. No. Or getting a root canal. No. Ah, uh, this could be the last time. I, like I'm hoping it's the <laughs> I last. I hope time. it's the last time. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some things seem like I don't want to repeat that. Yep. And so, what does it really mean to be cherishing all moments? And well, again, I think maybe there's the ceiling thing. Maybe there is only so much you can cherish. Okay. Pulling a car out of a di- out of a ditch. But there's other helpful reframing exercises as well that okay. might help in those sorts of situations. So, for example, one of them would be taking a sec. This is called negative visualization. Mm. Taking a moment to think about how much worse things could be. Mm. So, um, you have you've your car is you've got a flat tire and you're in a ditch, and you've got a you've got to call a truck or get get it towed or something. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine a way that that situation could be worse than it is? Maybe Absolutely. It's a blizzard. Yeah. Maybe it's freezing cold and you don't have the proper attire for that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe instead of just a flat tire, your car caught on fire. That would be worse, you know? Well, and what's that supposed to be doing, really? So, I mean, of course. Yeah, yeah. All that's supposed to do is is reframe. Solar flare could incinerate us. Just... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can basically always imagine a way in which a situation could be made worse or mm-hmm. could have been worse than it is. And... What that does is supposed to reframe, whereas you contrast the situation with how much worse it could have been, instead of instead of being as bent out of shape that this thing has happened to you, it allows even just a just the door of gratitude to open, creak open in your heart that, mm-hmm. well, I'm glad that it's not that bad. Um, another useful thing for a situation like that is this idea that it's going to make a great story one day. Uh-huh. Uh, and sure and that can reframe things there's um ajr have a great song called 100 bad days i love ajr if you don't know who they are I don't know. is that an abbreviation or is, it, uh, is it's that their names. i forget their names oh, okay but yes it is three brothers anyway pop band and they have a song called 100 bad days chorus says something like 100 bad days means 100 good stories and 100 good stories makes me interesting at parties and that's a really stoic way to look at that that as you're having a bad day mm. in that moment it's going to be unpleasant. There might be pain involved. It could be worse than it is. And also, you've probably said this. I know I've said this in situations. Well, this is going to make a good story one day. Like when Melissa and I first bought this house, um, we were moving in the first night here. And we had just like moved everything in. We were going to return the U-Haul and we thought we'll just get a load of laundry going while we do that. And we came back and we could hear dripping. And we were like, we had just gone out and we got ice cream and wine to celebrate first home. Oh, like we just man. moved in. We get home from returning the U-Haul and we're hearing water dripping. And I go downstairs and water is just in this room, actually, where we sit now. Water oh. is just pouring through the ceiling onto the floor, onto the carpet. It's like, what have I done? So I go upstairs to the laundry and we see that the sink, which the washer drains into, uh, we didn't realize it drained into the sink. We had put there was like a plastic bag in the sink that was blocking the plug. Oh, so that sink had overflowed, the laundry had flooded, and then it had all gone down through the floor into this room. Oh, my word. And I can't remember if Melissa started crying when we came down here and she saw, she was very upset. I laughed out loud when I saw it happening, which at the time, that struck me as an interesting reaction. And I do remember this fleeting moment of, okay, I see Melissa's upset. I could similarly get uptight, or I can recognize... This is hysteric. Of course. First night in a house, 
Yeah, very. And we yeah. flood it right away. This is going to be a great story. This is absurd. I can't believe this has happened yeah. to us. And I burst out laughing. Now, I do think some people, some personalities maybe are predisposed towards a stoic approach to life. Mm. Um, certainly, it probably has to do with like degree of neuroticism or like negative, how strongly people feel negative emotion yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. on that big five personality uh-huh. trait. Um, so I think, I think some people thrive on anxiety that when there is nothing to be anxious about, they will look for something to be anxious about mm-hmm. or they'll find something as a matter of their predisposition or is that trainable away from that? I don't know. I'm, yeah. a, I don't know about that. That's tough. I'm not sure, but I think there's some personalities, like I said before, who probably use stoic approaches, whether or not they know to call it that. Mm-hmm. And my dad was always this way. It's like, he's a very go with the flow kind of a guy. So if plans change unexpectedly, okay, let's get on board with the new thing that's happening as quickly as we can, instead of continuing to wish it was other than it is, you know, accepting the way it is. Um, I do hear you having trouble. Well, I mean, I agree with that. That sounds like sound advice, but I I am hearing this other side. Here's what I want to preserve. Yeah, yeah. That something, and I mentioned it earlier, some things are genuinely better than other things. Mm Mm-hmm. And I worry that the ethic of the Stoic is, and and maybe there's different. Again, you said maybe I'm not a true Stoic. Yeah. Maybe we're using those words in different ways. I think I'm meaning like the ethical, the philosophy that my life can only go better or worse based on what's going on on the inside. Yeah, I guess I would just. There's a nugget of that that I appreciate, but then the other side of me says like there are external goods that really do make for a good life and you should want that other thing mm-hmm. and not be satisfied with what you have now. Or did you not, you lost me at the end. Did you not like that part? Well, I'm wondering how that relates to your claim earlier that if you can't find contentment in the present, there's no guarantee so you will here, find here's it. here's an example. Like I'm still paying off a bit of student debt, mm-hmm. student loan debt. It, I think my life would be better if I didn't have to be doing that. Mm-hmm. I would have more disposable income to do whatever. Mm-hmm. And that can be used from better or worse ways. You don't have to go into all that. I could squander it on myself or give it away. And there's value that comes from that. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't it be better than just like paying? It feels like it's doing nothing. I just, yeah. No, I got a degree from it. Mm-hmm. I, I understand the logic of what's happening. Mm-hmm. But I would like to not be paying that off anymore to be able to do other things with it. Yeah. My life isn't equally good now as it will be when that's paid off. Yeah. I think. I think you're right. Okay. I think there has to be, these things have to be held in tension somehow. Because I can also imagine that your desire to to be in the place where your student debt is paid off could cause you so much frustration that your quality of life in the present is really diminished. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be some degree of like learning to be content and <clears throat> moving towards improving things. Like I don't think the stoic or the virtuous man is the one who when he gets hit over the head with a log, just is tranquil and sits there. Or I wonder what'll happen next. Yeah, yeah. Or like, or say, you know, take it to the extreme. His child is being hit over the head with a log. Well, this is happening and there's nothing I just accept it. Like, no, the the virtuous man acts in that situation, I would think. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the goal of stoicism is just detach emotionally from Good. everything. I want to get to that part. So that uh, I see that piece being... Um, a, a feature of the Eastern traditions of the detachment. The main problem of humanity is 
the suffering that we impose on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were, if you could only remove yourself or detach yourself from desire yeah. and expectations, yeah. then a lot of suffering would go away. Again, the physical suffering, sure, sure. Um, no, can't, I, I just, can't get around that. Your biology, but even there, yeah. I've heard some cases. <laughs> Wim Hof, you know that? Oh, that yeah. bloke. Yeah, what? Sits in the cold water. If we could get him on the podcast, dude. Yeah. He's a hoot to listen yeah, to as he? well. I would love to do the Wim Hof breathing method with him. Uh, I've no. done it within the quiet of my own home, but I want him to do it for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pull, I, I used it in a sermon the other week. Did you? Because he said, I, it just I, tickled me to death. He When he talks about breathing, he says, pull it in, pull it in. and let it go. And I did that. I did a breathing exercise. That's great. I just like that idea of pulling. Yeah. Yep. Um, but that bloke, for those of you who don't know, I mean, he sits in this cold water for like a half hour or whatever Very it is. stoic. Takes <clears throat> ice baths and yeah. climbs mountains in shorts. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think you you're, you're totally right that, that the, the I think one of the the main Buddhist principles is that desire is the root of all suffering. Attachment is the root of all suffering. And I don't I don't like that. I want to resist that notion that it's the root of all suffering. It seems like there's some I definitely, suffering. Yeah. I definitely don't like that. Yeah, yeah. But not only um I think it's the uh source of great good. I'd mm-hmm. flip it. Mm-hmm. Not only is it not the cause or source of all suffering, it's the source of much good. Mm-hmm. You can. Uh, I'd rather be in the business of trying to figure out misaligned attachments rather than ridding like myself that. of all of them. I like that a lot. Well, one of the issues, the bones I pick. That's with, a good quote with the Buddhists. That is good. Tweet that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, one of the bones I pick with the Buddhists, and maybe this is where Zen starts to tiptoe in with oh, all their Zen, their koans and great. <laughs> but it seems to me paradoxical if if the Buddhist tells me. Uh, rid yourself of all desire suddenly i'm filled with a desire to rid myself of desire i appreciate and that's inescapable it seems like desire is inescapable because even wanting to be rid of it is itself a desire you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. i think that's where zen comes in and they sort of throw up their hands and say eventually it will click for you that you're stuck with desire and that's what the koans are supposed to sort of unravel for you koan you know that little oh, the word, sound of one hand clapping. Kind of those little word puzzles that okay. are supposed to sort of turn the mind upon itself, and you recognize oh, it's unsolvable in some way. Yeah, just like your desire problem, mate. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's if any Zen masters are out there listening, yeah. and you could correct me on that, go for it. But oh, but I can even I don't have too big of a problem just accepting that. Okay, all of them except that one meta desire. Mm-hmm. Okay, get rid of all the. You can't get rid of the meta desire, but all these other. But see, no, I, no, I think, I think, yeah, having that meta desire would still produce suffering in me, and frustration. I yeah, felt yeah, I'm that saying, as I'm, I sit there and meditate. Yeah. I'm like, I just want to be rid of desire. Dang it, I'm still suffering because I want to be rid of desire. You know, <laughs> so I don't know if there's any Buddhists. If I'm getting that wrong, and there's some Buddhists out there that can help me. So what's like some closing thoughts then? What do we do with stoicism? Is it actually life guiding? Is it a, or maybe um, just because our audience, mm -hmm. a lot of people are, you know, like of the Christian persuasion and are trying to figure that out. How does that relate to? Like, is it compatible with Christianity? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Or like the Jesus ethic, whatever Mm -hmm. that amounts to. Are those compatible? Yeah. I don't see anything in stoicism that would conflict with a Christian ethic or a Christian 
worldview. I mean, it's not making metaphysical I guess, claims. I, and I guess my like my issue with the with the Eastern tradition, the detachment from desire, I see Jesus and other figures calling me to a life of love and self-sacrifice even uh-huh. um that seems mo- like i'm i am trying to cultivate some like emotional health and responding emotionally correctly to different situations yes so insofar as stoicism the principles are being lived out in the eastern tradition then i'm not as much of a fan yeah i guess i don't i guess i don't see them as being like i don't think the healthy stoic is devoid of emotion. I think okay. they are correctly related to their emotions. They mm. will feel anger at times, but not more than is necessary. Gotcha. You know, they will, the minimal necessary and remo- amount. And they don't allow the second arrow. That's right. Yeah. The, the minimal amount of perturbation when confronted with a setback mm-hmm. is the goal of stoicism, I think. I wish I was better at quoting scripture, but like there are <laughs> stoical Stoical, sure. That Jesus says, uh, yeah. the do not be anxious or Yep. Do not worry. And then what's the little um, part after that? Like, it won't add a single hour to your life yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Great. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think... That's I, right. I think that's, that's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Worrying accomplishes not much, yeah, you yeah. know? And that's a... That's a stoic principle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think... Yeah, I think there's overlap there. Mm-hmm. So I think Is you're there right. something the stoic would be saying for me to do that's incongruent? I have a hard time okay. thinking of one. Maybe the difference, here's maybe the rub, is depending on, as a Christian, what your views are about what happens after you die, maybe remembering death, maybe it reframes some of that for you. Mm. Well, what I do here... You did mention the Grim Reaper at one point. Like He'd be <laughs> confronted by him. I, I don't d- know well, the stoic he's I- in my metaphysical furniture. The stoic idea is that you don't want to get dragged into the grave kicking and screaming, filled with regret. Mm. You want to prepare for death. So that when that day comes, you can stare the Grim Reaper in the eye and say, yeah, I lived well. I lived fully. I, mm-hmm. I paid attention to my life. It didn't, it didn't rush by me. I was there for it. I showed up for it. Yeah. And now I'm ready to die. Now, Christians who have hope of an afterlife, might, you know, that's not the end. It's, it's not the case that YOLO. Um, yeah. So Are you saying ma- the Stoic philosophy and is necessarily tied to a lack of afterlife uh no maybe not necessarily but there's something about like the finality the of finality it. so if you knew you were never going to kiss your wife again because i'm going to die and it's permanent yeah, that's different than well i'll see her on the other side and mm-hmm. we'll catch up for eternity actually this is just a blip most of my time with her will be spent after the grave no that's really insightful that's so, a big difference yeah i mean that you see that all the time in christian circles right of well, whenever there's been a regret sometimes a punt is given to like, well, we'll get to do it in eternity. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that's probably, that's the biggest point of difference I can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So those are my thoughts on stoicism. I think it's helpful. I think it, I think you're right that there's some balance just, as required. A re- as a review, what are the prints? So memento mori. Yep. The, uh, so the last time thought experiment, the last time, um, negative visualization, when something is going wrong, imagine how it could be worse and see if that doesn't tilt things in the direction of gratitude for you. Um, think about how great of a story it might make someday. Yeah. Uh, you can tell it on a podcast. That's right. Eventually. That's right. <laughs> that's, uh, those are some of the, the stoic exercises. There's more. You can Google them and, and find yeah. a bunch. I'd also recommend the 
stoicism subreddit slash r slash stoicism probably a lot of good conversation yeah. going on there yeah great stuff well yeah. thanks for listening to another episode of open to truth uh as we mentioned at the outset we have the blog uh that's every week we'd love for you to subscribe to that great way to support us and actually uh commenting mm-hmm. on whatever is like the new algorithmic best practice yeah so and i respond to every comment so join Uh, the conversation yep yeah we'd love to hear from you if we miss something if you've got another perspective to offer we always want to hear it right into mailbag at open to truth.com cool cool and we'd love to answer your questions talk about it here awesome thanks guys we'll see you next time stay curious see ya